Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. Episode 73 in the house with Sam Lebowitz and Jack Hendon. The Mets just finished up their first televised spring training game. Didn't go great. Some positives to talk about, some negatives to talk about. More positives to talk about from Saturday's game, which we were not able to watch with our eyeballs. Um, but we'll get into all of it, some transactions around the division and all that. Even some injuries on the Mets front already. I know it's it's we're a few days into this and it's already very, very Mets. Jack, yes. how are you? Baseball back. Baseball Jack, back. Jack happy. Um, for those who, ha- who were not aware, uh, I'm still riding a high from the uh the wonder years concert that uh that that the two of us were able to go to we had a rare pge meetup it was yeah, awesome the, the the second time that jack and i have ever met face to face all both times now have happened with a friend of the pod rob pearsall that's right um, the real the, mets legend the first time was with rob and also a friend of ours matt mancuso we went to dave and buster's that was fun. That was like three or four years ago at this point. That was literally like a month before COVID started. Yeah, that okay. was real close to COVID. Yes, it was. And before the podcast even happened. So this was, we're 73 episodes now, including this one into the podcast, almost a year and a half in and maybe a year and a half in, honestly, at this point. And that was the first time we've met since the inception of Pleasant Good Evening, which was really fun. A lot we, of fun. Uh, Rob and I were going to meet up and go to this concert, my favorite band, The Wonder Years, in uh, in New York at Webster Hall. Um, and we were like, you know, Jack's in the city. Let's meet up with Jack. And so we got we got some Chipotle. And then we scalped the ticket for Jack because he was like, heck yeah, man, live music. I'm in. I don't, even if I don't know the bands. And you seemingly had a really good time. And I was I was really glad that you came along with us. Yeah, seemingly. I, I did. I, I really did. Uh, if you like find Sam's Spotify. You should definitely follow it because there's probably a lot of good music in there. Wonder Years was great. The openers were awesome. I don't go to a lot of like organized, even before COVID, I never was someone who was like, man, I got to go see that concert. And I love music. I don't know why that never uh, occurred to me to do stuff like that. But this was a lot of fun. Webster Hall is great. Wonder Years is great. Um, Emo music fans are like a lot cooler than I think I uh, had assumed uh and i i'm you know and i like emo music but to actually go to a concert and like see other people it was it you know it was like going to a baseball game you see so many people who like and you meet so many people who mm. in this one really weird uh way are just like a lot like you yeah so that was fun that was That's- honestly i would even go so far as to say that that was more fun than the game that 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 played out today I would agree with you. Uh, yeah. And obviously, you like you said, going to these events is always a much different experience than like watching a game on TV or watching like a live stream of the concert because like they're for me, like these are kind of two sides of, of my personality is like I'm a, obviously the huge baseball guy, but I also love live music and I love these bands that I go and see. And so getting to do that, first of all, like getting to now like work the baseball in. Yeah. Uh, is really really fun after having worked music in and like you said it's like both are opportunities for a, for community which i think is part of the reason why i like them so much like those concerts there's no one nowhere else where i'm are surrounded by people who are screaming the same song lyrics um, that i'm screaming yeah um, it's like when edwin diaz blows a save and everyone's screaming at him it's basically the same thing yeah it's basically the same thing 
which is why when I was screaming to David Peterson on the stream today, um, it felt it felt like home. It felt yeah. it was the, the first game of spring training is always the first game that you can watch. The first televised yeah. game is always such a weird experience because I feel like for me, at least there's such build up to it. And it's like, I get to watch baseball today. I get to watch baseball today. I get to watch baseball today. And then by like yeah. the midway point in the second inning, it's just like, Oh, these guys again, you know, yeah. like, but like, I still enjoyed it. Gary Keith and Ron mid season form already, even though they were doing the whole ripping analytics thing as soon as they possibly could, uh, which we don't even have to talk about that. That's whatever they're getting. That's going to be a year long theme. So. It's going to be, it's going to be a thing for the next, however long this trio does it. Cause they're getting kind of crankier as they get older, but they're still super entertaining to listen to besides that. So they were in mid season form. That was great. Um, the game itself, partially was kind of dookie uh it also jack you said before we hopped into recording it was like it felt like every mets game ever yeah i mean really when you i think at least looking through that first inning and i'm obviously not one to uh to really offer any like prognosis as to like if this gets better or doesn't right like it's spring training the games don't matter there's so many variables that uh you can't really account for like maybe things change, right? I'm not saying that like, it's going to be like this forever and it sucks and life sucks again. Like, no, but the first inning from David Peterson was like every David Peterson first inning that we watched, like, even when he was like good in 2020, it was the same thing, like 25 pitches because he can't really locate the fastball and uh, the slider looks good sometimes, but other times it's not hitting its spot. Uh, You know, just your, your, your standard uh, exhibition of a, of, of a finesse pitcher who uh, thrives on an ability to control, uh, struggling to locate an ability to control. So that was like, that was, I think, just like a repeat of last year. And then, I mean, again, this is like, and I'm not saying that it's, um, that this is going to continue. Uh, I'm not throwing the towel in on anything, but the, the sequence of the, of the next inning when the Mets were at the plate, the next half inning of, mm-hmm. Nimo striking out, uh, looking at a curveball, and then like Lindor and McNeil like ground each grounding out. No, no, was, McNeil struck out. McNeil it was, struck it was, out. Nimo was a swinging strikeout. Then Lindor chopped to first on the first pitch, and then McNeil struck out as well. Yeah, it was a yeah. ten pitch inning for Miles Michaelis, who like has barely pitched in the last two years. Right, it, and it was. I mean, it was exactly like watching the offense last year. Uh, so really, what it is is because I enjoy spring training so much, or that first game that you get to watch. Because for one thing, the six months of not watching live games not six months. It's, it's, it's a little bit less, I guess for us, it's a little bit right. October, November, December, it's, it's five months, but um, you know, that all that time and not watching baseball has come to an end and you're watching uh, players that you haven't seen before, right? Like Mark Hanna, who uh, Gary, Keith and Ron will hopefully get uh, the, the pronunciation right on at some point. They called him Mark Hanna, Mark, like, yeah, I they struggled with it. Yeah, it's, it's it's I it I don't I don't think it's that hard, but it's it's canna, yeah, like yeah. canna corn. Yeah, literally, it's it's yeah. But you get to see guys like that, and you get to see, uh, you also get to see in cases like with Peterson and McGill, who like had some hitches last year. You hope to see that they've ironed them out and done something really interesting. Um, like I think about uh, to to name one example that is probably buried in most people's memory. 
Uh, Noah Syndergaard had like a really, really good 2020 spring training before he, before COVID happened. And then he needed Tommy John surgery. He looked so much better than he had the year before. Um, I really like look forward to seeing stuff like that because it's like, not only is baseball back, but like you get to see what guys have been working on. You get to see it come through. And mm-hmm. what like we Tyler, ins- yeah. I think Tyler McGill is a great example. Cause he, he's a bright spot from today's game. The Mets obviously haven't even mentioned the score of six to four final losing to the Cardinals. Um, Tyler McGill through three scoreless innings. He looked trim. He looked fit. He looked lean all six foot seven of them. And he came out pumping 97 with like decent command and, and showcasing a little cutter thing that he's been working on, which looked whatever looked fine. But I mean, if Tyler McGill uh, is able to pump 97 with good command and, and decent secondaries, um, this is a guy that might have a, a spot kind of as a long man, uh, middle relief type in, right. in working himself, maybe even into higher leverage situations in the Mets bullpen. Cause obviously we know the Mets bullpen as much as they want to tell us it's complete, doesn't really look complete on paper. Right. Um, and he might have a spot. David Peterson, on the other hand, you mentioned it. David Peterson looked like David Peterson. There really hasn't been much change there. He looked like the same. I mean, he's kind of McGillish from the from the left side. They're both kind of similar builds. Um, but it was the same classic stuff with Peterson that we've seen so much. And I don't want to look too much into it because it is, you know, even though we're we're working towards the end of March here, it's it's the the beginning of spring training, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was poor command, fastball, missing fastball, arm side up and away to righties all the time. Yeah. Um, breaking off a good slider here and there. He struck out Nolan Arenado on a good slider, cutting in towards his back foot. Good stuff. Flashes at every once in a while, and then falls behind to Dylan Carlson two and zero because he can't get that fastball, and then just grooves a fastball right down the middle, and Carlson takes him out to South Beach yeah. uh, on a three run homer. And it, from that point, it was like, all right. Here we go. And then the same kind of situation, fall behind Paul Goldschmidt a couple innings later and, and give up a nuke to him as well. So um, the same kind of stuff that we're seeing with Peterson for the past two years, falling behind right-handers, unable to you know work himself back in the count because he grooves a fastball or he can't get his slider over, um, and he's susceptible to the long ball, the right-hand hitters, if he's not walking them. It's, it's the same stuff. It's disappointing mm-hmm. to see because he is such a talented guy, a first-round draft pick. But uh, we got to see how his spring, you know, progresses because as it stands right now obviously he's sixth or seventh in that pitching depth chart on the starting side but he's also one of the top left-handers in the organization a guy that you could look towards to to fill a left-handed role in the bullpen um if if no one else really comes forward because besides him there's chase and shreve who they signed to a minor league deal uh and I'm really kind of blanking on any other left-handers in the organization. It's Mike Alex Montgomery. Hello, Mike Montgomery. Mike Montgomery. He's Alex, back. Alex Claudio is – all three of those guys, Shreve, Claudio, and Mike Montgomery are all minor league um, signings with spring training invites. And I think Shreve's got the inside track right now, maybe Claudio as well. But, uh, I mean, we got to see how it goes for David Peterson. He does have a lot to prove, especially after being injured for a good chunk of last year. Yeah. Well, a lot of guys have a lot to prove. I, and I think that in some cases um, it's a shame we didn't get to see Dom Smith play today because in both the simulated game off Max Scherzer and then the Saturday game at, at Vero beach against the nationals uh, he was swinging. He was, and he was hitting the ball pretty well. Uh, we yeah. found out that he had basically been playing through all of 2021 with a partially torn labrum uh, in his, I want to say, his right shoulder. I believe it was uh, his right shoulder. Yeah. Or no, I think it was, 
I think it was his left actually. Cause I don't, the- I don't know if it was his, I don't think it could be his left. I don't think, cause he, he wouldn't be able to throw the baseball if he was. It's his with- right. You're right. It's his right. It is his right. Um, yeah. And it's also the, uh, the, the thing that I think really tipped me off to it was, uh, and I'm forgetting who it was that showed me this footage, but seeing his swing in like April before, evidently before things really went bad and he was finishing with one hand, he was finishing with the right hand alone. Um, and then obviously something began to go wrong uh, up there. And he started finishing with two hands by about June or July, right. evidently to sort of um, take the, 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 the burden off of, uh, off of that bad shoulder. So yeah, the bad he, shoulder being the front shoulder and that right. that's your drive hand. That's, that's where a lot of your power comes from as a left-handed hitter. Yeah. Um, and he was obviously not, well, the, we know the power he's, he had no power last year. Yeah. And I mean, it was clearly bothering him and it's clearly not bothering him yet. I mean, the, the real thing that you hope for, and it's in any case with a guy who shows you something good or bad, like, you, you want to see what's going to happen as time goes on. Like if Smith, cause he, I don't think he, cause it's a partial tear. He didn't like get surgery to, to necessarily repair it. This is something that you sort of uh, recover through like rest and physical therapy and hope that you don't tear it again. Um, like you, I mean, really, if it maintains, we're going to see really good things. If he never has this issue again, like if he's, you know, a thousand swings into stuff in, in April and May, and he's still finishing with one hand, like where we're, we're going to be in for something good. And it's, it's also, I think in a, in, in a sad way, because obviously it explains what went wrong last year, but it does explain and give some kind of closure to what happened to him. Right. And then yeah. the same way with JD Davis with his hand problem, it's like, you can, I think, diagnose the issue as a, a as a physical issue more so than a, uh, than a means of like regression or, uh, or simply performing like they really are uh so you hope that those two have it you know have have a good track to figure it out this year and get better mcneil is another case and in any instance none of those guys are going to be traded um none of them are going anywhere doesn't seem like robinson cano is going anywhere either seems like the offseason for the mets is essentially finished the only free agent left is michael conforto who could come back maybe uh hopefully but there's no report that i'm that i'm like clinging to that says that's going to happen i'm simply uh you know simply wishing there yeah Uh, i would i would i would go so far as to say i'd be shocked that that they've even reached out to michael at this point Mm -hmm. um i think that if there were uh if the mets were the only suitor on the planet there's a good chance Michael Conforto goes to Japan. I'll put it that way. I think he's done as a New York Met as much as I'd like to see him come back in terms of the three guys who the Mets are really looking for bounce backs. um, Even though JD Davis had like a decent slash line, he had like a 126 OPS plus. It just, it felt pretty empty. And he did have those injury issues. Obviously McNeil was terrible last year. Dom was terrible last year. So uh, if the Mets are able to get normal performances, out of those guys, especially if the Mets could find 2020 short season Dom Smith. Yeah. That would be a huge boost to this team because Dom was one of the most productive hitters in that in the NL during that short season in 2020. And yeah. if uh, if he's healthy and able to come back and be that Dom Smith again that we saw broke out uh, in that short season, you know, he hasn't really hit ever outside of that, you know, two months, that 60 game stretch, um, either before or now after. But um, he hit two home runs in a simulated game against Max Scherzer. 
Obviously, we don't think Scherzer's, you know, ramped up fully right now, but Scherzer himself was singing the praises a little bit after the sim game, and, and it was saying, you know, I faced Dom Smith a bunch. He's never hit those pitches against me. Uh, and he hit, he took him out to the to the berm and right field twice um, in consecutive at-bats in that simulated game, regardless of whether Scherzer was throwing 88 or whatever. Um, he still did it. Yeah. And then he went opposite field against Josiah Gray in that first spring training game uh, at the Nationals Complex. Um, one of three Mets to Homer against Gray in that first inning, which That's was right. impressive. Luis Guillorme led off opposite field home run. Dom Smith, opposite field home run. And a new addition, Nick Plummer, um, who grounded into a double play to end today's game. Um, former Cardinals farmhand, a minor league signing, who's rather interesting, 40, 40 man roster type guy. Um, also opposite field home run, three left-handed hitters all going to left center, um, which is a good sign. The Mets were a little bit power starved last year, yeah. um, really outside of Pete Alonzo. And uh, if guys can start bringing some home run power to the table, I think this offense gets a lot better. Even without Michael Conforto, even though people are kind of saying this team could use another bat, you know, I was a, I was a big Kyle Schwarber guy before mm-hmm. he signed with the Phillies. We'll get into those transactions too. Oh yeah. Um, uh, if the Mets under underperforming hitters uh, from last season turn the corner and be the guys that the Mets expect them and kind of need them to be, then I'm not so sure that they really do need another middle of the order bat um, at all. I think the concern right now is the depth, yeah, um, especially position player side. Is you need probably one more guy in the bullpen, probably a left-handed guy um who there really doesn't seem to be out there right now anymore um you need that guy and then you also need some depth in case some position players go down a billy mckinney type would be nice someone who they can bring in like that but this is the roster this is this is what we're looking at uh and it's probably not going to improve drastically before july yeah yeah i think really to go into like the concerns i don't think i'm like as concerned about the Mets offense as I am concerned about how the Mets as a team will now be competing with the other offenses in their division. Um, I think really what it comes down to, they did a really good job getting Max Scherzer. Uh, I think that signing Starling Marte to the deal that they signed him to was also very smart. I think he's going to be fine. I know he hasn't, uh, he hasn't been swinging yet because of oblique soreness, but it doesn't seem like, anyone's concerned about him missing opening day. Obviously there's the song and dance every year about things not being setbacks and then they become setbacks. But uh, I, I still think it was a great deal. Uh, I'd ex- I'm expecting between Nimmo, Smith and Davis, at least two of them to, to really produce. And I think McNeil getting a, a clean slate this year will help. But when you look across the division now, you have two teams in the Braves and Phillies who have and potentially even the Marlins, although I think the Mets generally have a better offense. It's, it's a lot closer now than it used to be, though. Uh, the Mets have their work cut out for them in terms of how they're going to get those guys out and how they're going to score enough runs to keep up. I mean, the Phillies signed not only Kyle Schwarber, but Nick Castellanos as well. I mean, that's those are two hitters. The defense is its own issue. That's going to be awesome to watch uh, as someone who doesn't root for the Phillies, yeah. right? But Who's getting yeah. the bulk of that left field play time, whether it's Castellanos or, or Schwarber? Or yeah. You put Reese Hoskins out there again? I don't know. It's We'll talk. Yeah, but. Yeah. They got seven of the best hitters in the National League, localized entirely in one lineup. And then obviously center field is like Odubel Herrera, 
or I guess it's six, right? Because GD Gregorius is not uh, really viable. Obviously, Alec Bohm, between Alec Bohm and Bryson Stott, eventually, like you're expecting something from that tandem. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Segura kills us, as we know. Hoskins, very good hitter. Real Mudo, best catcher in the National League. Uh, Bryce Harper, MVP. And now Schwarber and Castellanos. And then with the Braves, uh, I mean, they poached Colin McHugh from us. That's a bullpen thing. Matt Olson was probably a very good deal for them. Uh, it's a team-friendly deal, too, so they'll be able to build around it. Uh, I'm not so scared about, like, Eddie Rosario being back. I don't think that's, like, a big deal. But Yeah, the Braves, Braves have kind of – I don't know if the Braves have improved, per se. I think they've made some lateral moves. I do think their bullpen's pretty strong now yeah. with McHugh. They made one more – relief deal that's kenley jansen kenley jansen yes of course um which which could either be bountiful or um a boon on them given how you know up and down kenley jansen has been over the the past few seasons but in terms of their offense obviously the phillies offense is very good now the defense is going to bite them here and there but the offense is very very good they added to basically 900 ops type bats in castellanos and schwarber both dhs in fact, they have a number of DHs on that team with Hoskins as well. Um, so the defense is going to be probably pretty tragic at points. Yeah. Um, you know, with uh, I think Harper and Real Muto are really the only two pro-rated, positively rated defenders on that team. I think Gregorius and, and Segura are pretty neutral. Bohm at third is going to be an adventure. Yeah. Um, Herrera in center it's a ridiculous it's ridiculous to me they're not even trying in center field and that's the position that they're sacrificing they keep bringing back the domestic abuse guy to play center field um as are the braves with marcelo zuna to play left field or dh some but yeah i I mean the braves i think move pretty neutral offensively like i don't think that olsen is a is an upgrade over freddie freeman um i think he's a slight upgrade defensively. They're both very strong defensive first baseman. Olsen may be the best defensive first baseman in baseball. Yeah. Um, a multi-gold glove winner. Him and Matt Chapman out in Oakland were r- ridiculous as a tandem. Mm-hmm. Um, so they may have improved their infield defense a little bit, um, but I'm not sure they improved the offense all that much. I think Freddie's a more complete hitter than Olsen. Olsen is kind of a big... Um, he's got an interesting swing plane and he's a very, very strong guy. And if any of that breaks down, then he's a guy that's going to have some more swing and miss than Freddie does. Um, so that's going to be interesting to watch if the investment pays off. He's obviously, he's four years younger than Freddie. Yeah. He's going to last longer, which is the thing. Um, Yeah. Which the whole, the whole Freddie Freeman saga is a shame. I think from a baseball fan perspective, um, to see that the Braves kind of ghosted Freddie and then moved on without even telling him that they were going to move on without giving him a chance to sign a dotted line before they finished that trade with Oakland. Um, if they could have come together because they, he signed a very similar contract with the Dodgers that Olsen did with the Braves. So it's not like they saved all that much money. I mean, you get a little bit more longevity on the contract because Olsen's younger. So the back half of that deal is probably not going to be as painful as it might be for the Dodgers with Freeman, but really, really kind of crappy what the Braves did to Freddie Freeman after he spent 15 years of their organization and brought him a championship as their team captain. Um, but that's, this isn't a Braves podcast. We don't have to go too much in detail there. But the point being is that 
without they they did I think get the best possible solution for first base if they weren't bringing back Freddie Freeman. I'm always been a Matt Olson guy. I think he's great. Yeah. Um, and I think he's going to hit a lot of home runs in Truist Park, um, and probably be a pain in the Mets' ass for years to come. Um, but as has Freddie been, so yeah, we'll see. And, and he's a little more pitchable than Freddie Freeman at times. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes. And then on the Marlins side. I completely forgot about some of the moves the Marlins made pre-lockout that made them right. better as a team. Jacob Stallings is a pretty solid backstop behind the plate to catch for them. They got Joey Wendell from the Rays, who's going to move around the infield for them and probably hit a lot of annoying slap singles against the Mets. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Al Garcia, talk about bad defense. He's probably going to play a lot of center for them, um, which is not good because he is probably past his center field days, but he's another intriguing bat. They, they gave him four years, which is remarkable. Then they gave Jorge Soler, the reigning NL MVP, or NL uh, World, excuse me, World Series MVP. Right. Um, <laughs> three years. Yeah. Um, with two opt-outs. So maybe only one year when all is said and done with Soler. Um, but they added some bats. They added some bats. Their lineup is looking a little more formidable. Um, obviously, guys like Garcia and Soler are much more pitchable than you know like actual star standout players like maybe castellanos who i think is going to thrive in that ballpark in philadelphia yeah um guy who hits a lot of fly balls and that is a a nice especially to the opposite field and that is a nice ballpark to hit fly balls in yeah Um, they definitely yeah they definitely picked a he picked a good place to go for that even the even the the nationals are not just going away and, and completely tanking they're adding nelson cruz to their lineup that I think is more of a maneuver. Uh, it's it's like storing your chestnuts for the deadline sort of thing. I'm I agree. He's going to get moved. Oh, I agree bad. completely. I agree completely with you. But if you're looking at the lineups in the National League East and who the sure. Mets are going to have to pitch to, Nelson Cruz is now a bat that you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, um, it will it will be difficult. Uh, and yeah, Carter Kibu missing four to six weeks with a forearm injury is like also probably gives them an opportunity to play someone who may be more ready to hit. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, never mind. I'm sorry. I was going through uh, MLB trade rumors. I thought the Mets signed someone. They didn't. It was the Mariners, though. Uh, who did the Mariners sign? Ryan Buchter, another left-handed reliever. Okay. Oh, um, you know, they, the Mets could have, you know. They could have. But it's also like, I don't know if it's if it if it really means anything in this. Like, there's no one really – the lefties that remain are like Andrew Miller and Ross Detweiler and Tony Watson. And Andrew um, Miller at this point is not a guy who really can face right-handed hitting. Right. Yeah. And with the three batter minimum, that's just like, it's, yeah, there's probably a reason why he doesn't have a job right now. Yeah. And I, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know though. I think that it, it's all become a lot stiffer, the competition. Uh, now, granted, it is the National League East, and this is not the first offseason we've seen in which a bunch of teams in that division put their resources together and revamp their rosters, so to speak, and, and, and bring in firepower for their lineups and then don't actually get anywhere. Like we saw the same thing happen in 2019 where the Mets, the Marlins and the Phillies, or I guess really just the Mets and Phillies, because I think that offseason, the Phillies got Harper and Real Muto. And the Mets had made some deals also. I think they had, you know, at the time, uh, trading for Robinson Cano and, and Jed Lowry was like considered, you know, those were considered big deal moves uh, for their offense. It's, it's one of those things. 
where like it could, I think you could still conceivably see both of those teams struggling in some way. Like if the Phillies, if those players don't get vaccinated, like they're going to be losing games. They're not going to be winning anything that they play in Toronto. Um, if they go to Yankee stadium, that's also going to be a problem, but that's only like, well, like five or six games or something. But even then, like, I think that those teams both lack depth still. The Mets yeah, and, Philly. The, and I think that's where they separate. That's where they probably are different from the Braves in this whole thing. Yeah. The Phillies, the lineup's great. Yeah. There's no denying that it was fine before, but now it's really good with Schwarber and Castellanos in tow, but the pitching staff and the depth are not good on the Phillies side. The pitching staff in particular falls off quick. Yeah. The starting pitching, you've got Wheeler who's one of the best pitchers in the national league at this point who is dealing with a slight injury and might not be ready right. for opening day, which could be big because if Zach Wheeler's not Zach Wheeler, then you have Aaron Nola who's only 28, but seemingly is still losing velocity on his fastball year to year. Mm-hmm. And if he's losing his you know velocity on the fastball, then are his changeup and curveball as good as they've always been? That's a question mark with him continuously. He's had some up and down seasons, but mm-hmm. also a very good pitcher. And then after him, you've got Kyle Gibson, who's like fine, who's like good, but not great. Who's like, he's probably exactly what he is on their rotation, a three guy. Yeah. Um, He is probably what they need Chris Bassett to be for the Mets. Like they're what they're rooting on him to be um, as a solid righty who induces some contact. But Gibson's also a guy that isn't a big strikeout artist and is going to rely on that defense behind him. And as we talked about, it's not a good defense. And then, you know, who else you have behind him in the Phillies? Ranger Suarez, who like just made it to camp. Ranger is actually kind of interesting. I think he could be good, but after him, after him and Gibson, it's like Hans Cruz or Kraus. I don't even know how right. Like it's, it, it gets bad. Uh, they don't really have a lot of dudes like in the minors that will be up for the, the challenge of, of coming up. They have like, like Bailey falter. And, and that's probably the only like close to major league ready, uh, you know, arm they have stowed away there. Meanwhile, yeah, and then the there's, and then, and then there's the bullpen, which they did a very Mets job of filling out. Literally a Met, like literally there are Mets in that bullpen now. Yeah. With Jerry's familia. And Brad hand. And Brad Hand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did. Yes, they did sign. They Brad did Hand. sign Brad Hand. They did make that decision. That is a thing that they did. Yes, they, they guaranteed Brad Hand $6 million to pitch baseballs for them. Um, yeah, I mean, well, good luck to Jay Reese there. I was convinced. I think as were you and like much of the Mets fan base that he was going to wind up back in Queens. But um, now our good friend Rob Orr uh, gets to watch him pitch for the Phillies. Um, he's not bad he's just not built for bad defenses which he also has now yes Um, very very bad the point being with the phillies is like yeah they made improvements yeah they're over the luxury tax for like the first time ever under john middleton like yeah there's there's like improvements to this roster and they're gonna score a lot of runs but at the end of the day this might still be just like an 80 win team yeah, it, and like a fairly a to make that happen, and like a fairly painful to watch eighty win team at points as well. Uh, the Braves didn't get a whole lot better. Like they got good; they're still good. They're the world champions, obviously, but they were not the best team in that postseason field when they got into the postseason field on paper, and they did not do a whole lot to get better on paper. Um, 
the Nationals are going to be bad. The Marlins are probably still going to not be that good. The pitching is obviously good with the Marlins, but the lineup is weird. It's improved, but it's weird. This is a, a division that is improved, mm-hmm. but it is still a division that's winnable. And it's still a division that is probably going to yield multiple postseason teams, especially given that there's a one extra playoff team in the National League this year. We have the, the, the slightly expanded playoffs. So just because other teams are making moves while the Mets are staying quiet, heading into the early parts of spring training doesn't mean that uh, the Mets are going backwards necessarily. They still, Mets still did a lot to improve their team. Uh, I wish they did a little bit more. Right. I think that's really, yeah. Having, if they had done a little bit more, I think we would be less uh, unnerved by what the Phillies did this past week. I think that's really the big thing. I think they're still probably a better team than Philadelphia, but those games are a little bit harder to win when you don't have someone who can really pitch to lefties in your bullpen. Um, They're going to be harder to win if, you know, J.D. Davis gets hurt uh, or if one of your outfielders gets hurt, really, really if one of your outfielders gets hurt and you have to start like Khalil Lee or Travis Jankowski. Literally the Phillies did this with Jankowski last year. Yeah, or like move more than helped. Yeah, or or like move McNeil to the outfield, and and then your starting infield becomes uh, Eduardo Escobar and J.D. Davis instead of kind of alternating them, right? Um, which I assume they will at third base with McNeil at second. It's there's or moving or you know, man, I, yeah, Dom. Playing it seems like they're gonna just day. move guys, like they're just gonna move at will, but no one that is in a position. I think really like Starling Marte is probably the only outfielder who I'm like he can play, he can play the outfield. You know what I mean? Like even Nimmo, like, yeah, the, the, the numbers improve, but it's so easy to have good defensive numbers when your team knows how to shift. It's like, you see Jose Peraza's numbers improve, but no one's, you know, crying about Jose Peraza leaving the team. The Yankees didn't pay Jose Peraza a lot of money to play for them. Like, like it's a, it's a matter of shifting and the defense really is otherwise kind of like, I don't know. They're, they're doing this a different way. It's unorthodox. I think it could work. But I will say, I will say this. Depth. The, I'll say this on the, the matter of depth. Yeah. Is that the depth does actually improve if players perform the way we you know want them to and expect them to. Like this lineup, I think, is a little bit stronger. Maybe the defense is not as strong uh, if this happens. But if Dom Smith kind of asserts himself over Mark Canna as, a, as the, the premier, like, it's a little more complicated with the DH now, which is kind yeah. of why I'm, I'm on board for them to sign Michael Conforto if they possibly can. But right. I think that the team is a lot better if Mark Canna is not your starting right fielder. Yeah. Um, I'm not convinced Mark Canna is going to hit all that much. Um, I do like, I like him enough, uh, but I'm not convinced he's going to start. I mean, you have got Dom and you've got JD who can DH with Canna and Eduardo Escobar um in the field um i don't know i mean we i'm sure we'll go through this more as we get closer to the the start of the regular season what our ideal lineups are going to look like but uh if uh, the point is here is that if dom is going to hit this team is better yeah and the lineup looks guys in and out of the lineup as often as we did last year simply on performance reasons then yes there's more stability if dom is able to hit like he did in 2020 there's more stability to the lineup um as opposed to where they've been 
uh, where they were last year and where they could be heading into this season. Cause I mean, you've got Cano too, man. It's a cluster right now. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? it really? Is. Oh, it this is. is why they were saying, this is why all the reports came out that if the Mets are going to sign another bat, they got to ship someone else out. Cause it's, it is kind of clustery. They should probably get a bench bat anyways. Yeah. But there are none left. There really aren't. There's like Danny Santana. Brandon Drury is still out there, but that's not a big league contract you give out. Like, you're going to sign Jed Lowry again? You're going to, like, we want a guy who can play a position, right? Like, we're not signing as Drupal Cabrera. Um, We're not, God forbid, we sign Brett Gardner or Adam Eaton or Gerard Dyson or, like, one of those, like, slap hitters who, like, runs around a lot. Do Like, I swear to God, like, you give Buck Showalter one of those guys, and it's going to be it's going to be even worse than Kevin Pillar was. Oh, Pillar is also available. Yeah, I mean, you sign Brett Gardner, you're getting like 350 Brett Gardner at bats. Just prepare yourself for that. But yeah, yeah, there's not a whole lot out there. The ideal scenario is like a guy who can play infield and outfield, like a second Jeff McNeil. But I don't think that guy really exists. Well, Mark Vientos, right? Am I right? He can play outfield. No, he can't. Not really, at least. No, he can't. He can't. That's 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 I'm 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 joking. But it was fun. It actually was fun with the with spring training starting to see the younger guys. Always fun. Yeah. Um Vienzo's got a hit today. Yeah. Um dumped one out in the center. Uh, Brett Beatty got a couple of at bats, took a walk. Yeah. Um Ronnie Mauricio got an at bat, struck out. Popped out also. He, oh, he, yeah, I think he, he got two at bats, but yeah, yeah. it's um Dan- it's good to know that they're real. Daniel Palka for the bench, maybe he had he ripped a double and, and went the opposite way with a single today off the bench. Yeah, that man is built like really a linebacker. Either he does have a lot of power. He has a ton of power. He's built like a linebacker, but he is has the same positional versatility as Dom or Pete. He's, he's a first baseman who could maybe play left field a little bit. I think in like 2008, if you had a guy like Daniel Palka, you would be set. It would be like having Matt Stairs. Like all he does is swat the bat and hit the ball 400 feet when he, when when the bat hits the ball. Um, it's very fun to see. It was fun to see today. He's apparently been like scorching the earth uh, in batting practice. Uh, that could be kind of that could be kind of like interesting. But again, I kind of fun, yeah. I think really, if there is one guy. Um, on like the fringes of this roster who you look to um, as someone who could play infield and outfield it's Carlos Cortez yeah Um, I don't really know how ready he is I'm not that like enthused with his minor league numbers like I don't look at him the way that I looked at Jeff McNeil when you know like four years ago McNeil was uh, you know on the outside looking in Uh, it's not going to be something like that but as far as depth goes um I don't know. It would definitely help them if between like Cortez, Plummer, and Lee, uh, you were you, you got some kind of production uh, during the season. However, you yeah. move those guys around. Vientos too, because he's going to be ready for some big league at bats sooner rather than later. Probably it's just with him, it's a matter of position too, because yeah, he's also yeah. basically JD Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as bats go, I think yeah, Vientos is definitely up there. I'm not as worried about the bats. Um, yeah, in terms of Cortez, it's like he's a guy who primarily plays second base. He could play a little bit of left field too. And he's 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 kind of a, a gap to gap doubles guy with a little bit of pop and is gonna take his walks, but he's not anything special. Um, 
Yeah, Gourmet I mean, was nothing special either. It's one of those things like yeah, the he, best, does, he does one job and it's good. You've got looking at the team, like trying to think through this in the head in my head. I mean, you've got Guillaume is the backup, primary backup shortstop middle infield type. Right. You've got Robinson Cano is going to get some innings at second base, but he's going to DH mostly. Mm-hmm. On any given day, you've got Dom or JD DHing probably. And the other one on the bench. That's three bench guys right there. You're going to have to have a real fourth outfielder in there, which is probably Nick Plummer at this point. Right. In a, I think on a winning team, unlike the Dodgers, um, like, like I think of Mark Hanna on a winning team the way I think of like AJ Pollock on the Dodgers. Yes. Um, I think that's a great example. I think that's exactly who he needs to be. But as it's right, right now, he's actually just like not that role player. He's a, a, a straight up starter. Yeah, it's it's a shame because really I think like you said it's gonna like it, it it will probably be a situation where the team is going to I mean they're definitely gonna go over two ninety at the deadline they're gonna need to get that reinforcement at the deadline but it's a shame that we're thinking about how we're gonna like you know hold this carcass up for three months so to speak as we get ready for that point point. Um, and there's the, then there's a the matter of health is that Starling yeah. Marte's we mentioned it a little bit earlier we can talk about it a little more in depth here. Starling Marte is dealing with some sort of oblique injury. They say he's doing everything but swinging. Uh, spoiler alert, swinging is the most important thing for hitters to be doing. Right. Uh, it, but they say that he's almost there and that Buck Showalter is not concerned really so much because he thinks that even though spring training is shortened this year and, and opening day is still just about three or so weeks away, that he thinks that he can catch him up in at bats over the, the last week and a half of spring training, if necessary. Um, basically, Starling Marte is, is going to be behind the eight ball, regardless of whether this yeah. is a legit injury or um, something that he's going to start appearing in spring training games next week or what have you. Obliques are tough. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's not able to you know, be the opening day center fielder, then the bench and the depth are even more strained because you are really relying on him to be not just your center fielder, but like one of your important bats, like one of yeah. your best players on the offensive side of things. And to be, if not your leadoff hitter, probably your number two hitter. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to flip-flop him and Nimmo at the top of the order a little bit and see which one works better because guy runs fast, has to hit first, yeah. um, even though Nimmo yeah. is the guy who gets on base more. Right. Well, Nimmo does run fast. That is the good thing. Yeah, but guy, um, guy uh, who can steal base. Guy who can steal base, first. right, of course. Guy who goes, guy who steal base, run, hit first, swing first, get, get to get in box first. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, I don't know, man. Really, like, even talking about this roster configuration, like, it makes the sensory overload itself from seeing all the players, including players who are not on the 40-man roster, it makes the job of, like, talking about the players, like, a lot more stressful. Yeah. Um, ideally we wouldn't be talking about like how we shoehorn guys into position and, and work them in and out. I mean, there are so many guys too, that we haven't even gotten to like talk about, like, like what happens to Travis Blankenhorn this year? Does, how much does he, how much is he going to play? Like he could be a fit for a bench spot. I'll be yeah. honest with you. Uh, he could be a fit for a bench spot. Yeah. He's uh, got to have a good spring though. You know, he's got to have a good spring. He's a 40 man roster guy. He can, he's a little bit versatile on the infield at least. And he could swing the bat a little bit. 
before we move on to remembering guys, because I think we're yes. just about at that point. Have you noticed, and if you have, it's hysterical that nobody mm-hmm. seems to know who Marcana is. Have oh, you like what this? he looks like? Yes, yeah. I do think that's very funny. Because so right after the Mets traded for Chris Bassett, a group of reporters, um, like when Canna was walking into the complex that day, yeah, like we're yelling Chris, Chris, Chris at him because oh, they're both like generic white guys with like short hair and like longish faces. Yeah. Um, and they've obviously were both in Oakland. So, right. you know, there's that too. Um, and then today um the camera had was was trained on canna before first pitch and gary referred to him as travis jankowski who was also in the starting lineup uh even though they look nothing alike that had there's well that i think was like just coincidence because even if you don't know who mark canna is as someone who has watched baseball long enough you cannot like not recognize Travis Jankowski. He I is think, a yeah. very distinctive looking person. Travis I do not Jankowski. Think, Stony Brook like, product Travis if, Jankowski. Travis Jankowski, I, I tweeted this. He's basically Kirk Neuenheis playing basketball. It's the same, it's the same physique and the same face, the same hair, the same defense. Um, I think Kirk was a little bit better looking than him facially. Kirk is better looking, I think. Because, I mean, yeah, I, I would say Kirk was better looking. But it's um, the same kind of lefty who can hit a tiny bit, but not really, and can run His a little bit. hair flops around when he catches the ball. With long hair and can play a little center field. Yeah, Stony Brook native, or um, product, Travis Jankowski. But I think it was not, just wait, more wait, so. Wait, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. Stony Brook. Travis Jankowski went to Stony Brook. He, okay, d- did he? Wait, yeah. okay, because all I know him from, because I go to a school in like, you know, like a couple miles from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, he is like the face of Lancaster baseball. So I've only, I didn't even know he went to Stony Brook. All I know is that he lives like basically like an hour away from my school. Did he go to Stony Brook? I'm looking yeah. at this. He was, yeah, a, he did. He, he did. He did. He yeah. did. Okay. He did. But I think it was with Gary. It was like, they had the camera, they were doing the defensive alignment and they had the camera on an outfielder who hadn't been on the Mets before this year. Right. And Gary was like, Oh, that's Mark Canna. Yeah. Or, or I'm sorry. Oh, or that's gotta be Travis Jankowski, whatever it was, but it was, right. it was Mark Canna, but he said, Travis Jankowski, you know, broadcasters have to get ready in spring training too. It, it's hard too. Cause Canna's Instagram like is literally just pictures of food. Well, there are no a, pictures of Mark yeah. Canna on Instagram. He's a, he's a huge big league foodie. His, he, you would think he was a plate of of fajitas or something. That's that's his at his Twitter handle and Instagram handle is at Big League Foodie. He's like a big food guy. His whole thing when he like first broke out with the A's because he's had an interesting path too because he was a yes. rule five pick by the A's yes. and then broke out as an actual everyday player. Um, is like when he first came up as a rookie, his social media was kind of popping, was kind mm-hmm. of uh, popular among like fans and stuff and, and people in baseball media. Because he was like visiting these big league cities for the first time and asking people for like food recommendations and checking out these food places while he was in these cities for the first time as a big leaguer. Um, And I, that I will, I've always associated him with like his food. Yeah. Because that's what he's doing. Nemo how to cook chicken, you know? Ha. Yeah. A good joke. Low hanging fruit. I'll be here all week. Yeah. (laughs) Food poisoning. Although maybe it turned out to not be food poisoning. The book is still out there. That was also God. That was like three years ago. Yeah time yeah, is that fake was. that was another spring training injury time is fake 
2019. Yeah, that was a. I'm trying to think because there's always like some player or some storyline like during spring training that like grabs the headline the first week. You don't really like see or hear anything about them again. Um, and I, I totally like had memory hold the Nimmo thing with the chicken for like at least a year. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's it. Am I is there anything else where we should uh cover? We didn't really talk pitchers, but like I think that you know, DeGrom's going on Tuesday. That's the only thing about pitchers you really need to know right now. The only urgent pitcher news, because aside from Tywin Walker, who I think will be fine, um, because he's already throwing off the mound, like, um, Jacob DeGrom is going to be pitching Tuesday. It's a home game. It's going to be televised. You should watch it. It's at 6.05 p.m. Eastern. It's a night game. So no excuse. Like, you get off your work at 5, you better be watching it. And I'm going to be watching Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's a threat. Yeah. It, no, it's not. It, no. Oh, okay. I, I'm not, I'm not. Are you threatening someone? No, I thought you were. No, no, I'm not. I'm just saying you should do it. And like, there's no reason not to. Okay. Um, yeah. Remember some guys you go. Yeah. First. Remember some guys. I was going to try to come up with like a cool transition of like when we were talking about the Nemo there for a second. Oh, remember 2019 spring training, you know, who else was on the Mets in 2019 spring training and then come up with some. Cool. Yeah. But not him. Um, but like, I'm not actually seeing anyone that's all that interesting, but I will pick someone out of here because why not spring training? We're doing spring training episodes. Why not talk about guys who played spring training as Mets and then never actually played for the Mets? Why not talk about Danny Espinosa for a minute? Yeah, that was the thing. That was, was a Met. He, he was, was on, Met. he was on that Mets spring training squad in 2019 and then played like the whole season in Syracuse that year, 400 or uh, 542 played appearances for Syracuse in 2019 and which he hit. 256 with a 777 OPS um, and hasn't played uh, affiliated baseball since. He's only 35. Can you believe it? No. No, he's not even 35. He turns 35 in April. Wow. Danny Espinosa. Get him a job. Get him a job. Who, like, didn't he, did he have the beard when he was with the Mets? Oh, that one? I don't think he did. I think he gotten rid of it. I think he was like a clean shave and by that. Yeah, I'm looking at photos. Yeah, we he would have been we would have had photos of that for years. No one would have ever lived it down. Yeah, clean shaven as a Met, but when he was with the Angels the season prior, he had and, a and obviously glorious, with the Nationals, he had this just glorious and also terribly ugly facial hair. We that will be like the uh the title card that I use in the tweet. I'm gonna yeah. look at Oh, the today. beard is great and also bad. And then the beard is bad. I like the mustache. I the, think the, the mustache Fu Man, the giant Fu Manchu that he's got. Yeah, that's incredible. That that was what I was thinking of. The Angels thing is a little bit like a. It looks like a fake. The Angels like, thing is just a very long, dark beard. And it looks. Yeah, it looks like the beard that like Drake and Josh wear when they're sneaking into the movie theater, like, and they're dressing as like Hasidic Jews or whatever. Do you, do you, do you know? Yeah, I know, about? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like that. It, it looks like a caricature beard. It, it can't be real. Um, this, this facial hair is ridiculous. Pip, pip, doodly do ass beard. Um, <laughs> who am I going to remember? I, um, okay. I guess I really, the only, well, okay. I, I burned my Tim Tebow card a couple years ago or a couple weeks ago on, on, on remembering guys. I told my girlfriend about him, uh, like while March madness was happening, it was, 
lot of fun. She was very confused. Um, but Tim Tebow's not the guy I'm going to remember. The guy I'm going to remember is a Met from 2020. Because that year, I still don't really think of as like a real year. Totally a fake um, year. I'm going to remember Andres Jimenez. Oh, Andres. Okay. Yeah. We talk Green about prospects. Indian. We talk about guys who, you know, we thought had a future. I'm pretty sure every prospect writer uh, that's out there had Andres Jimenez ranked higher on their list going into 2019 than they did Pete Alonso. And yeah, I remember I mean, those really, debates. Like he was going to be the dude. Uh, it was a question as to whether or not he would hit. There were questions about how easily like they were going to be able to like get Ahmed Rosario another position because yeah, he, was the the short, he was the incumbent shortstop and Jimenez yeah. was like the far superior defender. Um, but the hit tool was not like totally there. In his one year as a Met, he played in 49 of the 60 games uh, that they had. Uh, he batted 263 with a 333 on base and a 398 slugging and then got traded to Cleveland uh, for Francisco Lindor. He, I mean, really, like, he'll probably always be a trivia question in that in that way. Uh, people will always remember him for that. He's with the Guardians right now trying to get a roster spot. Didn't really have a good uh, year last year. But then again, his value is primarily as a defender. And you, like, hope he can squeak uh, a contact uh, jewel out of him. But it doesn't seem to be happening yet. But, yeah, I realize Andres Jimenez is, like, just a prospect that, like, we had and then – gave up and honestly life went on um yeah life's gone on Uh, he was he was he was a highly touted guy though and i remember how excited people were in spring training to like see him get at bats i hope he figures out how to hit major league pitching at least a little bit because he's just a silly defender really really good yeah he's quick too not probably not as as fast as he you would think he would be but quick enough and he came up and hit like a couple of triples yeah, Real, like in his first few games as a Met or something like that, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, this guy's great!" And then he kind of stopped hitting. Yeah, um, but the defense, yeah, he could play all over the infield. Good shortstop, Guillaume ish. Um, I obviously I think Guillaume is a better player than him at this stage in their careers because Guillaume has figured out how to at least right. get on base against major league pitching. Um, but yeah, I mean, Andres just seemed like a cool dude. I hope he figures it out a little bit. As as you know, as the former Ahmed Rosario lover um i really i also hope that ahmed figures it out a little bit in cleveland they both had interesting seasons that neither of them hit all that much ahmed was fine um and uh andres was did not hit at all well ahmed hit for the higher average between him uh and lindor so really yeah who's the winner who's the two won the trade he lost the trade we did lose it he hit he hit 282 lindor hit like what like 259 260 whatever it is i'm still getting used to saying guardians yeah i've 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 been on it for because i always just called him cleveland my thing was like i just don't want to have i i like i figured that they were going to change the name like at some point in my lifetime i'm still mad that they're not the spiders i think that's just the far superior name I like the rocks. I like the Cleveland rocks. Cause that would have been fun rocks. too with the, their history. You, of rock and roll. The, the freaking Rockies ruined that. If the Rockies didn't exist, I think they would have been called the rocks and that would have been good. But Cleveland rocks do a little guitar moment with the logo. That would be, yeah. Yeah. But the, I mean, go back to where they, in this, they were the spiders before they were the Indians back in the 1800s and 19, early 1900s, whatever it was, whenever they changed yeah. over that, that would have been cool. I think that would have been really cool. 
and that's what like a lot of people wanted and then they went with the yeah. guardians and I, I understand the rationale for like the name the guardians with the 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 actual physical stone guardians they have on that bridge but like they're guarding they're guarding the cuyahoga river so it doesn't catch on fire <laughs> cleveland god i want nothing but the best for cleveland i want nothing but the best for andres i want nothing but the best for ahmed i want nothing should, for the best, they, but they, yeah. should, they should sign like one major leaguer or if they're not get jose ramirez the hell out of there yeah i feel so bad they've just done nothing all offseason yeah like yeah. the most exciting part of their offseason is like changing their name well, I'm, yeah, it was, was overdue, but yeah. yeah very I, much overdue, but also sign like one major league player. Even the Pirates are bringing in more talent than them. Heath Hembry. That's right. Heath Hembry is a Pirate. We can't get Heath Hembry now. Yeah, we can't. But yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a future Met legend. We'll remember him someday. Yes, we definitely will. He was good. All right, that's that's all I got. Uh, anything yeah. else to add for the good of the cause for episode seventy-three? Uh, l- listen to the Wonder Years. Uh, yeah. yeah, Wonder Years, good. Origami Angel, good. Um, Spanish love songs, good. Spanish love songs, good. Music, good. Um, uh, fast guy, bat first. Um, yeah, fast yeah. Guy. yeah, baseball back. Baseball steel, back. Steel base, bat first. Yes, yeah, steel bit. Yeah. 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 I, I I would agree. I would tend to agree. They might cancel you for that, but I would agree. Ooh, hot take. Steel yeah. base, bat first. Okay. That's episode 73. Plus good evening podcast. This one's in the books. He's been Jack Hendon. I've been Sam Lebowitz. Mets fan. Have a pleasant good evening. Thank you.